Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to Outward, Slate's podcast about queer culture, politics, and all the cute things the LGBTs are wearing for Pride Month. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a senior writer at Slate. I am Jules Gil-Peterson, and I am all of your mothers. (laughs) Just kidding, I am not your mother. (laughs) I will not make any food for you or do your laundry. Uh, And I'm Brian Lauder, and I edit Outward. Well, y'all, it's June. It's our big month. It's our moment. (laughs) I feel like June is to the LGBTs as a full moon is for werewolves. Mm. Um, It's like when we transform into our most dangerous and (laughs) full-fledged and ferocious selves. So listeners, I hope you're hydrating and sunscreening and howling at the moon and steering clear of any hazardous discourse this month. And hopefully, if you're a subscriber, which you should be, you have seen that we're doing extra episodes for Pride Month this year. We have something in your feed every week, including a review of the gay rom-com Fire Island and a few episodes from elsewhere around Slate, like our very own Jules on Slate's parenting podcast about supporting trans kids. But this week, for our main episode, we wanted to take Pride head-on, the annual celebration part of it all. We want to talk about what value it holds and what values it represents. So I remember, maybe it was a few years after I came out or something, there was some discourse about why do we even need pride anymore? Mm. And I think there's been a conservative argument and a radical argument for that idea. Conservatives will say, and do say, gay Republicans say all the time, like gays have won, you know, we have marriage, we have workplace protections. What else is there? In fact, even before we had workplace protections, I think they were still saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, And why must we keep harping on this identity stuff? My sexuality Mm -hmm. is the least interesting thing about me. But there's also been some well-deserved skepticism about pride on the left. I'm sure you've heard it before, probably on this podcast. Now that being queer has been so normalized, so much so that companies are commodifying it at our own damn celebrations, what's even the point? But the best response to either of those arguments that I've heard, and that still kind of gives me chills when I think about it in a good way, is that we always will need pride because every pride is someone's first pride. Every year, new people are coming out and joining the fam, old people, young people. For some of them, it's no big deal. For some of them, it's really hard. It's, it's everything to them. And in this one month of the year, we take ourselves out in public all at once and <laughs> show each other who we are. 
And, you know, it looks different everywhere. In some places, Pride is when the whole city becomes basically a queer bar for the weekend. In smaller towns, maybe it's more like the one day a year where there's more than one queer thing to do. Mm -hmm. But every year, there are some LGBTQ people who are experiencing that for the very first time. So this month, we wanted to talk to someone who can remind us what that's like. So in this episode, I'm so excited. We are going to chat with Sammy from Michigan, who went to Pride for the first time ever this year. Congrats to Sammy. Uh, And then the three of us are going to talk about our own first Prides and how our relationship to it has changed since then and what it means to us now. But first, we have our second installment of our new Talkback segment, Jules, why don't you introduce us to the name of our segment? Yes, so um, after careful deliberation and many focus group sessions, we have come (laughs) to a decision as a podcast to call this, the listener, talk back segment, thoughts and queries. How do you spell thoughts? Well, this is not a visual medium, so I'm going to leave that up to your imagination this is the segment where you can send us your thoughts, your queries, proof of your thoughtness, and your <laughs> queries for us. And this month, we are very grateful that one of our listeners, Alicia, has uh, sent in a voice memo with some follow-up thoughts on our episode about prison in the gay imagination. So let's give a listen to what Alicia had to say. Hi, this is Alicia, big fan of Outward. I was really interested in your discussion of, as Brian put it, prison in the gay imagination. And it brought to mind a song by alternative rock band My Chemical Romance called You Know What They Do to Guys Like Us in Prison. The song is from their 2004 album Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. MCR is not technically speaking a queer band, although they have a very large queer fan base. There is a great piece on them.us about this. I've always been kind of fascinated by this song and its popularity among said queer fan base because the title seems to reference the kind of homophobic fear-mongering, joking that Brian mentioned in your discussion. But the lyrics of the song are very homoerotic and point to a genuine questioning of sexuality, which certainly resonated with very closeted teenagers like myself in the mid-2000s. The chorus features lines such as, Now, but I can't, and I don't know how we're just two men as God had made us. Well, I can't. Well, I can. Too much, too late, or just not enough of this. I'll kiss your lips again. This homoeroticism reminded me of what Brian and Christina both said about the eroticization of prison as a queer space. What a well-engaged and thought-out response to that episode. I I continue to be impressed by our listeners. Listeners, please, please, please uh, follow in Alicia's hallowed footsteps. Send us your voice memo. Send us your thoughts and queries, and uh, maybe we'll feature them on this show. Yeah, just a reminder, you can send your voice memos to outwardpodcast at slate.com. So now I think it is time for our usual round of prides and provocations. Uh, I guess pride 
especially this month, but Prides <laughs> and Provocations. Nonetheless, um, why don't we start with you, Jules? Sure, I have a bit of a doozy of a provocation. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep it short. I've because, girded my you know, loins. <laughs> well, you know, I could have, I could have, you know, stolen a whole episode to rant about this. Okay, so you know, many of you may know, the New York Times, New York Times Magazine published a very long form piece um, that had somewhat different titles depending on where you read it. Either mm-hmm. the battle over gender therapy or. Why Doctors Are Divided Over Gending Affirming Care for Children, written by Emily Bazelon, who is a staff writer for New York Times Magazine and also, I believe, um, co-hosts the Slate podcast. So, you know, the call's about to come from inside the house. (laughs) Now, you know, this piece, it follows in a great tradition of absolute garbage journalism that, uh, you know, really has decided that trans people's lives which, you know, we have talked about on this podcast are not always rosy, especially when you're a child, are actually a really interesting matter of debate where it's really important to hear, quote unquote, both sides. And this long form piece really promised to do that by actually, you know, really doing a lot of journalistic work. It cites pretty much all the big players in the United States and even in the Netherlands where some of the um, paradigms for for young people's uh, gender affirming care were developed. And it also interviews trans young people. And it pretty much, you know, included phone calls, long phone calls and conversations with all of the big researchers, historians, psychologists, social workers. Yours truly was on the phone with the author for a long time. And, you know, the final piece also included a lot of airtime for people and groups that are explicitly dedicated Mm. to reducing the number of trans people in the world, to forcibly detransitioning people, uh, and who are outright opposed to the existence of trans people in the first place. It includes some conspiracy theories that have been very delicately laundered and dressed up and presented without much commentary. It also contains just outright errors of fact that some people, maybe like historians who co-host podcasts, might have been in a position to tell the author about and maybe did tell the author about. Mm. Anyways, Mm. here's what I want to say about this. This is obviously a general problem that we're facing in a moment when trans people are literally under attack during Pride Month, when it is illegal for some young people to even access the very health care that is being talked about in these articles. We're just getting all of these, but but really, shouldn't we shouldn't we make it harder for trans kids to transition? Well, guess what? Some people already are. And, you know, I have a long Twitter thread about this. I wrote a little Substack piece about it. Um, so, you know, check that out if you want to hear more from me on this. Um, you're probably tired of it. We'll put it on the show page for sure. Yeah. It's great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, you maybe are tired of hearing from me about it, but here's what really bothers me, right? Trans people are not the first ones to get up and say, oh, we love our doctors. Oh my gosh, they are the nicest people. (laughs) They've always had our backs. They continue to just be so helpful with us, right? Mm -hmm. And this article, I think, really does a disservice to the history of trans medicine by passing it off as in the best interests of trans people. As I I point out in this this piece that I put out on my Substack, trans medicine was designed for transphobic purposes. It was deliberately designed to stop trans people from transitioning. And that was codified as the best practice of the field. And that is literally the governing body, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health that is talked about in this piece without any particular context. So guess what? Here's what I want to say. Here's why I'm provoked. It is the height of cowardice and journalistic 
uh, malpractice, in my opinion, is a complete lack of ethics to reach out to credentialed, well-researched scholars who tell you the truth, tell you the risks of just publishing another ideologically biased both sides kind of piece, and then just to go ahead and publish it anyways. I'm really mad about it. I'm just tired of this nonsense. I think it's endangering people's lives. Um, So that's as much as I'm going to say here, but um, obviously I'm feeling a little bit provoked and, and a little less proud than I would have liked to. So Brian, tell us, are you bringing us a provocation as well? Y'all, I am so provoked. Okay, let me tell you, let me just set the scene of this provocation. So I had just gotten back from a lovely vacation in uh, Barcelona. I'm in the cab on the way home from the airport in New York. Pull up my Instagram. I see an ad from Postmates. Uh, Postmates, <gasps> the, the delivery service. Uh, you uh, Food delivery and right. other things, I think. I don't really use that one, but yeah, uh, I think it delivers things. And it was their Pride campaign. And what they chose to do this year was to talk about what bottoms should be eating. Uh, the name the name of the campaign is Eat With Pride, the bottom-friendly menu. Um, and what this purports to do is educate those who bottom uh, about what they could be ordering from Postmates, you know, ostensibly to aid them in their bottoming this, this Pride season. To do this, the uh, Postmates partnered with an anal surgeon and sexual health and wellness expert. Actually, we'll play a clip of the of the ad just so you can get a, a sort of the flavor of it. Insoluble fiber won't help you feel cute. So avoid things like whole grains, wheat bran, cauliflower, potatoes, legumes. Hold up. Are you just fully diving into those beans? The problem with these foods is they don't dissolve in water, which could cause a traffic jam in your digestive system, making a mess of your evening. Speaking of messy, it's a good idea to avoid dairy. Okay, so you've heard the ad. There's a lot that you can unpack here about bottom shame. And I want to mm. point our listeners to um, Leo Herrera, who we've, we've had on the podcast before. His Instagram is at Herrera Images. He has a fantastic Instagram story uh, that's in his highlights, I believe. What I want to say about this is that this ad feels like the culmination of a really, really troubling discourse or or sort of trend that I've noticed the past few years online, wherein bottoms are expected to basically have disordered eating, Mm. um, to to be like good in their, you know, to be responsible or like good citizens of, of, of bottom town. You'll see like like a lot of guidance around you know what not to eat, what to eat, but then also just talking about like oh all I had for dinner was ice uh-huh. because I'm gonna like have a guy come over later or I didn't eat for like 48 hours because I was going to this like party. Um, not to mention like advocation for like pretty unsafe amounts of douching. Um, not mm-hmm. to get too graphic on the pod, but like there's that too in addition to the to the eating aspect. But this is all built around shame, right, about not being perfectly clean every time you want to have sex. And the idea that you should not, it's like offensive to tops if you are, right? (laughs) Takeaway from this discourse is that tops are like unable to handle the fact that they are fucking someone in the ass, just to be like completely (laughs) blunt about it, right? And it's just, it's gotten to a place where it's really disturbing to me what we're, the message we're sending. And I worry that there are like, especially younger gays who are like coming up on like Instagram and TikTok and whatever, where they're really getting the messaging that this is like normal. It's Mm. not normal. It's cruel. It's immature. It's unhealthy. I want us to grow up and stop it. 
it's fantastic if you want to have anal sex to prepare for anal sex that's fine we're not against that on the pod like preparing for the kind of sex you want to have is is great but anal sex is anal sex if you're going to have it on either side right the top bottom divide you need to treat it with respect and compassion and grace and stop this this horrible messaging about bottoms uh, needing to like have eating disorders to exist all right well that's all i have to say about that um christina what do you have for us well we're three for three on the provocations during pride month i'm provoked as well so I'm provoked by um, the Victory Fund, which is sort of the main organization that funds and trains and endorses LGBTQ um, mm. candidates for public office at all levels of the ballot. So this is going to get a little bit in the weeds into D.C. politics, which I think is fine, because as we know, some people in D.C. listen to this podcast, and I think it's important that I... Mm educate them about what exactly is going on in their name here in D.C. So there's a gay ex-cop running for city council person against a progressive incumbent. Basically, the one issue by which he's differentiating himself from the incumbent is on public safety. And he, you know, has a great relationship with the Metropolitan Police Department, obviously, as somebody who used to work there. The other fun thing about him, so this guy's name is Salah Zapari. He, his campaign chair, with whom he launched his campaign for city councilman, was a Republican, actually, who uh, not only was a registered Republican, but had deep ties to Trump and the world of insurrectiony conservatives. He actually worked at a right-wing think tank. He did a fellowship at this think tank, the Claremont Institute, that has done all kinds of anti-LGBTQ work. So the candidate only got rid of this guy when news outlets started reporting on like, huh, why is this guy running as a Democrat uh, have a Republican as his campaign chair? Well, the thing you need to know about D.C. politics is that our primary, our Democratic primary, is basically our general election because Mm -hmm. um, Republicans just don't win for local office here in D.C. So come to find out, Salah Zapari, this this Ward 1 candidate, used to be registered as an independent until checks watch one month (laughs) before he registered, (laughs) before he launched his Mm. campaign as Uh the Democratic candidate for office. He's never voted in a Democratic primary. His campaign treasurer, by the way, who who's still in the campaign, only recently changed his party ID to Democrat. Mm. So really, this guy is a Republican in Democrats clothing, the husband of his gay campaign manager. Now he has a, a, a new campaign manager who's who's gay and presumably not a Republican. The, but the husband of that campaign manager was caught on tape stealing signs that mentioned his Republican ties because Ward 1, where Salah Zapari is running, is a ward where a lot of rich white gays live. And so he's got a lot of support, my sources on the ground tell me, that actually like white gay men who are very concerned about public safety in the ward they live in and maybe mm. are not too pleased with how the progressive incumbent has been handling it are sort of the primary supporters or like the real energy behind this campaign. It also doesn't hurt that this candidate is relatively handsome. The Victory Fund endorsed Salazapari against the progressive incumbent. You know, they want to bring a gay back to city council. And 
it raises the question for me of what do we want when we talk about gay representation? What does it mean to have mm. a gay on city council? And what will it do for gay people to have somebody there who is part of our community? Right. Um, the Victory Fund has given more than $70,000 to this campaign, which is actually kind of a lot in a local campaign. We know that an organization that advocates for more charter schools gave similarly sized chunk of money to Victory Fund. And so there's some analysis that suggests that maybe that was the Victory Fund was sort of a pass through entity. The other thing that's happening is there's a gay progressive who's running in my ward and who I'm so excited about. His name's Zachary Parker. He's great. And the Victory Fund did endorse him, but gave him no money. Oh. oh. So hmm. there's two gays who stand a chance to get on city council. Only one of them got money from the Victory Fund, and that's the more conservative one who's trying mm -hmm. to hide his Republican ties. And the progressive candidate in my ward, who's actually running against a guy with extremely good name recognition because he's been on the council before and who's actively a homophobe and in a debate tried to say LGBTQ and said LBTTQ, which, you know, is not on its own disqualifying and actually could be a useful acronym when you're trying to, like, host an event that is trying to be like, everyone but cis men, this event is right. for you. <laughs> right, I don't right. think that's what he meant. And no. it's just, it seems so <laughs> ironic to me and such a, like, poor reflection of what the Victory Fund is supposed to stand for that I'm extremely provoked. I'm sad that they're doing this in my name, you know, putatively as a queer person in D.C., and um, I think they need to take a good hard look at themselves and wonder what they actually want when they're trying to get a gay on city council, which is a noble goal. And I'm, I would be extremely happy to have a gay on city council, but at what cost? This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. All right. When we first started having discussions about how we wanted to cover Pride this year, uh, we realized that none of us really had a good sense of what the vibe was going to be. The pandemic is slowly fading or being ignored or whatever is happening with that. So you'd think we'd be ready to come together and celebrate. But of course, as we've been talking about on the show for months now, trans and queer communities are under a coordinated vicious assault from state legislatures and right-wing demagogues. And as Christina recently wrote about in Slate regarding the anti-pride U-Haul Nazi plot in Idaho, all of that hateful lawmaking and rhetoric is translating into real-life violence, um, and that is sure to get worse. And then, on top of all of that, we have this year's particularly wild barrage of corporate pride branding that feels somehow both more elaborate than ever and more absurd, at least to me. So again, what is the vibe this pride? 
to help us answer that question and maybe to find a fresher, maybe less jaded view on the season, we decided that we wanted to talk to someone for whom 2022 represents their first time participating in Pride events. We heard from a few volunteers, thanks to all of y'all who, who reached out to us. But today, we're going to be talking with Sammy, who is a Michigander who just attended what she called a warm-up Pride in Kalamazoo, and who is gearing up for the Grand Rapids Pride uh, that is happening the weekend after we're recording. Sammy, welcome so much to Outward. Thank you for being here. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to, to chat. So before we get into what went down in Kalamazoo, because we want to hear about that, uh, I wanted you to just share a little bit about yourself. Um, how do you identify? What do you do? What is your vibe? Uh, my name is Sammy. I, um, I'm a late in life uh, lesbian. I came out at the age of 30, or 30, I'm 33 now. I had some struggles uh, in my 20s, some dark times and just a lot of uh, mental health related issues, depression, anxiety, um, I'm so forthright with this, but a couple suicide attempts and it just really impacted me. And I've been really fortunate the last three years of my life to have had the support that I had and just kind of lead with curiosity to, to want better for my life and to step into mm. my authentic self. I was completely ignorant to the fact that I was ever going to come out. I was like, I'm just never going to do that. But as I continued to grow and develop in my own journey, I was like, well, you know what? I, I'm just really unhappy and I got to do this. And I did it. And was very well received and I'm very thankful for that. And I and I I'm moving forward into this this light of my mental health journey, trying to share the vulnerability behind it. And so that's mm. a, a side passion of mine. I travel around the world, I, I climb mountains, I run races with a very mental health focus. Um, and I love that. I'm very active in the running community here in Grand Rapids and doing a lot of fun pride stuff with different uh, groups as well. Uh, my mm. day job, I'm in tech sales. I'm a, pocket tech nerd. I do love that. But what really drives me every single day is this community focus and just helping others. I know that in the time since you came out, we had the pandemic, which obviously got in the way of a lot of pride celebrations. But aside from that, what sort of made you nervous about participating uh, in pride events uh, before this year? It was a personal thing. I knew that I was queer very early on in life, uh, teenage years. And uh, just unfortunately had an experience where that was not well received. And so I didn't have uh, any confidence to actually come out at the time when I started to feel the way that I felt. And so I think I just turned my brain off to all of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I identified as straight up until I was 30 years old and truthfully just completely had blinders on to anything else because I was like, nope, this is my path. This is what I meant to do. I got to do the things. Um, and so I just never immersed myself in the culture and learned and educated myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm very sad for that former version of myself in a sense, but I, here I am now and it feels really, it feels really good. I wouldn't change it for the world because you can't, you know, can't live in the past, but, um, yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't have any, any desire to, to try to understand that world because I was just hiding from my own self. <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of us can probably relate to that in different ways. Yeah. There are things that just take a long time. And, and for some of us, they take longer than for others. And I've just never, you know, I've never been able to, to exactly explain why that might be. But, but I feel like there are always sort of beautiful gifts that come around um, for those of us that had to like, for me, it was I had to wait a long time to transition. And, um, but, you know, it's like, 
sometimes you have to wait a long time to go to Pride, but then you come on a podcast and talk about it. So like, yeah, not only gesture. is it your first Pride, but you're on a queer right? podcast about it. Wow. That's also a way of, you know, giving thanks for, for that. You know, I feel that, that idea too of like, oh, the person I used to be sometimes almost feels like. I don't know, like someone I read a book about or like a, a character I saw mm. on a TV show, but I can't, I'm like, I can't even remember that. I know I remember that mindset, but like, I can't feel it anymore. Thank goodness. And then sometimes there are like these moments in life where I don't know, all you can do is sort of give thanks because the work that you're doing now, right. Is so informed by that. And, and as much as I think we often feel swallowed up, right. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely relate to that, like having a difficult twenties and, you know, really struggling with mental health. Um, and those things feel really isolating. And you feel really like, oh my gosh, I'm the odd one out in the whole world, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. when when we get to the other side, I don't know, there's this kind of clarity of like, oh no, it's actually like a lot of people, but <laughs> you can speak directly to that feeling. And that's like, you mm. know, there's a little bit of a superpower there. It's, it's yeah. hard earned, but yeah. I think it's so, so important. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so like, thank you for being so like open and just really elegant about that. I just find it so moving. Tell us about your decision to go to Kalamazoo Pride. Like, when did you hear about it? How did you prepare? How did you decide to go? Yeah, this is a a really last minute thing. Um, I have been so fortunate to have fallen into the running community here in Grand Rapids. It's incredible, and some of my greatest friends have come from it. And I have a new friend, Paul. He lit, he grew up in Kalamazoo, and he's training for a similar distance uh, of a marathon right now. And so we've been doing a lot of long runs together. And in those long runs, you just start chatting, and you get to know each other. And he was like, hey, you know, would, would you want to go check out Kalamazoo Pride? I've got some friends that are going. He identifies as straight. And he's like, oh, you know, they're all going to be straight, but maybe you'd want to go. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I've never been, and I'm planning to go to Grand Rapids. I would love to just see what it's like. And um I don't really, I didn't really know Paul very well at the time. I think we had only been running for a couple of weeks, but I was just like, I feel like I'm meant to go do this with Paul Mm. specifically, just based on some conversations that we had. And so we drove, it's about 45 minutes from where I live in Grand Rapids and we drove down together, had an awesome chat and it was just such a cool experience. His friends were amazing and, you know, they included me instantly. And for someone with a lot of anxiety and social anxiety at that, it was like, that was to go say yes, to go do that was Mm. like. I know I need to, yeah, I know I need to do this, but I'm also like, kind of like, ah, I don't know what, you know, what's going to happen. And so um, it was cool to face the fear and show up and then also just be so welcomed by everybody too. What were the events like in Kalamazoo? What, what, what what does pride mean there exactly? Kalamazoo is kind of like a mini version of Grand Rapids and Grand Mm. Rapids is like a mini version of Detroit and, you know, (laughs) we're just like layers. Yeah. So it was small. It was very small, but um, they had downtown, they had a uh, stage set up and kind of everything kind of roped off and gated off and had vendors, mm-hmm. food. They were, they were doing different entertainments, some stand-up comedy. Uh, there were drag queens performing, which was incredible. Um, and then some of the local bars and restaurants were also participating. So you could kind of like venture in and out throughout mm-hmm. the, the event mm-hmm. too. What did you wear? Yeah, I, this is another thing that caused me some anxiety because he had asked me that morning, do you want to go? And I was just like, oh, I don't have an outfit. But um, I put I put an outfit together. I was wearing some corduroy overalls because, oh, nice. you know, I'm trying Ooh, to be yes. like 
cool, nice. if you will. I'm, so, I'm an elder millennial, kind of, but I'm just like, hey, I'm here, yeah. showing yeah. up. I wore, I wore quarter overalls. I wore my rainbow, I, these Bombas rainbow socks with some white sneakers. And then I got a, a just a flat bill hat that was rainbow. It was the yeah. cityscape of Denver. I put it together quick. I made a TikTok about it. Um, and then I went down, but for my, my Grand Rapids experience, I was a little bit more thoughtful with my outfit, which is actually tomorrow, uh, Saturday. So I'm really, really excited about that. Well, tell us about that outfit. I went with the overall theme again, but these are shorts. Mm. So overall shorts, uh, they are not corduroy, but they are all white with the, the straps actually have rainbows on them. So just a nice... Nice touch of the rainbows. I'm going to rock the Bamba socks again, maybe a different version since they have different patterns. And then um, I think I'm going to go with some fun space buns. And then my friend is going to help me with some uh, like gems and then eye makeup. We've got a couple of inspo-inspired fun rainbow eye makeup and eyeliner and... White sneakers, of course. I'm going to go with like, you know, the whole white out thing. So yeah, it's going to be fun. So when you went to the Kalamazoo Pride event, was that like the most gay people you had ever been around in one space at once? Yes, it was. <laughs> what did that? What did that feel like? What did that? Uh, yeah. <sighs> it was. It was so good. I mean, sometimes I still like step in and out of this identity, right? Mm-hmm. I I, mm-hmm. I think of this former girl that was like, I can't be this person who I want to be out with my friends they wouldn't understand and I'm mm. I, I'm dressing the way that I want to dress I'm I'm saying things that I've never said that you know and I'm around all these other people and I'm like everybody here loves everybody like mm. it doesn't mm. matter and I had just gone so many years muting myself and so to just kind of step into that environment it was just I was like this is me. This is this is where I belong, and it just mm. felt so good. I mean, it was so much weight off of my chest to mm. to just kind of be myself, and also kind of beautiful that I went to this Kalamazoo Pride with a bunch of people that really don't know me. Sometimes I find that with my older friends, which I love them dearly, they've accepted me, they love me. I still find myself acting kind of how I did pre coming out because uh, yeah. there's this identity that I had with them, which is still part of me right but it's not mm-hmm. fully me I, I'm a, I'm very mm-hmm. there's something else kind of happening and evolving within me and I'm like I just get to kind of be around these people that have no idea who I am and yeah. I get to just be myself without actually thinking oh my gosh I'm, are they thinking about this oh because she's gay now she does mm-hmm. this or blah 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 mm-hmm. Sammy used to do this but now she's this way and it was just like all of that just went away and it just kind of made me feel free which was amazing <laughs> uh, that sounds that sounds so wonderful. Did you like yeah. get emotional at all? I'm just getting emotional hearing about this. I'm feeling, yeah, yeah, no, I'm like I'm like a little choked up. <laughs> yes, um, it didn't hit me at first. A lot of these emotions, a lot of big things in my life, sometimes take a minute for me to register. Like, what mm-hmm. is hap- What is like? Is this is this reality? Sometimes I feel like I'm living a dream. Um, yeah. I get a little choked up about it to myself. Um, but I went home and I was like, I love Paul. It was like, I've known Paul for like five weeks and this man is just, he's been such a blessing in my life and the last couple of weeks just put me in situations that I just like needed, I needed, I needed to be pushed into and um, his friends were amazing and I just, yeah, I cry sometimes when I think about it because it's it's happy tears, right? But it's also, there's a little yeah. bit of a, gr- a grieving part too yeah. and, and sadness of just going so long, not mm. feeling this free. <laughs> 
I think we should declare Paul our official Prime straight guy, straight guy for, for the podcast. I, 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 I'm, I'm, in, I'm in love with Paul, too. So this is really interesting. I was actually talking with um, my wife about this last night where uh, I was basically like um, preparing for this interview and asking, like, what would you want to know from somebody who just went mm. to their first Pride? And she was like, ask if she went with straight people. Because mm. now, sometimes when I go to Pride, I'm like, all these straight people are taking up so much room here. But one of, <laughs> some of my first Pride events, I took my straight friends because I didn't have queer friends mm. yet. Yeah. And like, I actually mm-hmm. feel really grateful for those people who were okay with like coming with me to an event. And then also, when, if I started making out with somebody, leaving and like not making me feel <laughs> weird about the fact that like I abandoned them at Pride. <laughs> You know, and I actually think it's really important to be able to, you know, not all queer people have uh, queer friends to go with to Pride. So straight people have a role there, too. Mm -hmm. I have some queer friends now, and and it's been great to kind of, like, make new ones. But I still have a lot of straight friends, kind of like what you said. And um, they're so cute. They've been like, how can we support you and make sure this is the best experience for you? And I was like, just show up as yourself and express yourself in the way that you love to be and that'll make me happy mm-hmm. like that's what pride is all about and so it's just so cool like, yeah I mean in hindsight it was funny someone was like hey how was Kalamazoo pride and I was like oh it was really fun but I was with all straight people and then I like immediately I stopped myself and I was like you know what that didn't feel right to say like who cares if they're all straight I still had amazing time and they welcomed me in it was me inside that was having some insecurity that I still was like with straight people mm. and not gay people and I wasn't mm. being my full gay self. Mm. Um, but also like right. you but have it, time. You know, that was your first yes. pride. Like who knows what your next one will be like. Well, yeah. that's a good question. What's what is going to happen in Grand Rapids? What are you what are you uh, going to? Oh, I'm going wild. <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, this will be so so fun because I have friends from different areas of life and different times of my life and they're all going to kind of show up sporadically um which is really cool so i've got yeah yeah, college friends coming out new friends that you know are part of my running group and then yeah just sprinkled all over so my my plan is to just kind of flow i i live downtown which is just steps away from where the event's taking place so i just said hey anybody and everybody if you want to come over to my place first we can get the makeup on and hang out have some drinks whatever walk over and then just there's entertainment going on from like noon until I think 9 p.m. So we'll just kind of flow through the event. If we want to come back to my place and and hang out, we can. But um, yeah, just just kind of like letting myself just enjoy the moment and not put myself on like any time frame or agenda or anything like that. Are you going with any sort of desire to meet new people or mostly hang out with your friends? I want to meet new people. I have uh, I've met some some of the other queer community in Grand Rapids, but um, no, no, I don't have many queer friends, and I'm just like excited to to meet people and talk to people and just kind of connect at a, a different level. Um, mm-hmm. th- I assume that there's going to be a lot of people, and even if there aren't, you know, it's there's going to be some people down there that I've never met, and I'm just excited about that energy. You've talked a little bit about this already, but I, but I wanted to ask you, uh, when Christina introduced the show earlier, um, she said that we were going to sort of talk about what is the value of pride or what is, what is, what is good about going to it. Why do, we, why do we even care, right? I'm wondering what you think now as you're going through this, this uh, season, 
what is the value of pride to you? And if sort of if, you, if you're trying to convince someone else to come, you know, to it for their first time with you, what would you say to them? I think the value to me is just finally being able to express myself wholly and like authentically and show up in a space where other people are doing the same. No matter how you identify, no matter you're straight, you're gay, like you just can come and enjoy and be and also learn about the culture a little bit further. Like I said, I think I had just those blinders on for so many years and there's so much more history and things that people went through before myself And I'm so thankful to be living at this time where this is becoming more accepted and there is, you know, a greater voice and love being spread throughout the community. But it wasn't always like that. And I don't want to be that new gay that's just running around being like, "Ah, I'm free. This is great without understanding (laughs) what what it took to get here to be great and loving and wonderful. And so that's what it really means to me. Um, and just connecting with people. I absolutely love learning from people. I'm curious about humans and their stories and just making new friends. Oh, I guess I did have one more yeah. question. Just if there was any specific person you saw or moment you experienced that kind of stuck out to you or, or stayed with you. I think seeing all the couples, it really gave me all the feels. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, um, I just got, I just can't get out of a, a relationship. So I had my heart broken, which is okay. It's fine. I will be okay. But just seeing people in public, uh, queer relationships, holding hands, like yeah. kissing each other if they'd like to, it's something I always had in my head of like, Oh, I wish I could do that. And I always told myself, well, you're never going to. And just seeing that people can do that in public safely and openly was like, it just, it made me happy. It gave me hope. I'm like, I know love is out there. It's possible. And it's also possible to share with whoever you want to as well. Sammy, thank you so, so much for joining us today to talk about this. Um, you're just, you're a delight. And I'm, I'm so happy that you're getting to experience Pride this year. And I think Grand Rapids is going to be a great success. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. <laughs> So it was such a treat to get to talk with Sammy about her first Pride experience. And like we said, you know, the three of us have kind of been reflecting on what's up this year? Are the vibes off? Is it, you know, is it the pandemic, pandemicing for so long? Is it the, you know, that little rising tide of fascism all around the country? (laughs) Or, and this would truly be much more disturbing, Ryan, Christina, are we just getting old? I don't <laughs> well, mean, you know, chronologically. Let me put that theory no, no. to rest. Eternal youth, eternal <laughs> youth. I just mean, are we getting older in the sense of, has it been so many years since our first pride that we're, you know, becoming, as perhaps notable gay podcast hosts <laughs> might become, a little jaded? So I'm so glad we're going to have this conversation about our experiences after talking with Sammy, because I feel like everyone's first pride is actually always different. And even the idea of what first pride is for could be different. Mm -hmm. And maybe all of us have like different first prides even in our own lives. For me, I could name multiple first prides. The literal first one I ever went to. 
Then the first one I went to, you know, with one identity. And then the first one I went to again when I, you know, started transitioning. And they were all at different times mm. in different places and at different moments in my life. And just there, it already starts to become kind of a, a complicated tapestry. I wanted to kind of just do a little bit of, of storytelling here um, because I also think maybe listeners want to know and want to imagine sort of like... Um, did y'all ever watch Baby Muppets? You know, it's like you got the <laughs> Muppet regular Muppets. Muppet Babies, yes. Muppet Babies, sorry. Muppet Babies, Right? Yeah. So if we want to imagine Outward Babies, Oh my God, that's babies. so funny. I loved that show. Shrink yeah. the puppet version of Jewels <laughs> Down and you get a little story, right? My most recent first Pride was in, in New York City, you know, not that long ago. First week I'd started hormones and, and the first time I was willing to walk in Dyke March and kind of spilled out into Washington Square Park with all my friends and had a kind of lightning rod moment of looking around the park and being like, oh my God, lesbians are so hot. That was a great (laughs) pride. But if I rewind the tape a little further, think back to one of my actual first prides was when I was probably 19 years old. I was in college in Canada and I went down to Toronto with a couple of friends for the weekend to go to probably the biggest pride in Canada. Canada already had same-sex marriage, so we were already in that era, kind of at the, like, corporate old news, yeah. It's Mm. old news. This bank is just, you know, trying to get our money, but we're in college. We don't have any money. Joke's on them. (laughs) But, you know, I felt really uncomfortable the whole Mm. time. Uh, I felt really scared. I felt really intimidated. And I had this kind of just intense emotional reaction everywhere I went. I was with a bunch of boys, and at the time, I was trying to reconcile how I was supposedly also a fresh young thing myself, a fresh young Twinkie boy. I just Mm. remember going around and seeing especially like femme boys or like femme queens and other gay boys of color who were embracing their bodies, you know, who weren't wearing a lot of clothes or who were wearing makeup or who were, you know, wearing heels and just like living their lives in such a kind of freedom and feeling obviously now I understand really intimidated and resentful and Mm. jealous. Um, But experiencing that at the time as, as all I could understand, it was like a kind of fear and sort of like, I don't know about this. I don't feel right. I I just feel really out of place. And of course I thought it was my fault Mm. and I felt really embarrassed. And then, you know, here's the full circle moment. We went to the Dyke March, I had this sort of premonitionary moment that now feels really different when I think about my later, you know, New York Pride moment, where, you know, it was it was the Dykes on Bikes, you know, who Ugh, often yes. are the beginning, right? And so it's like, <laughs> all these motorcycle butches are literally revving mm. their engines. And I was like, I, 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 this is above my pay grade. My whole body, <laughs> like, broke. Like, my nervous system was like, girl, you are in trouble. <laughs> like, you need to make different decisions in your life, and everything you're doing doesn't make sense. But of course, I was too young, and no one was explaining all of that to me. And I was with a bunch of very lovely, but kind of clueless boys. And so mm. I just remember, like, feeling terrible and kind of being disgruntled. And at the time, it was really easy for me to be like, well, you know what? Corporate pride is nasty. And Canada is just this silly, liberal settler colony that, like, like pink washes itself by having gay marriage. And so I tried to be like, I'm just a good leftist. So I actually like, don't like pride. But the truth was I was dysphoric as fuck. Right. And I think back on that. Right. And I just think back on how, you know, all these years later when I end up transitioning, I felt like a baby again, but Aww. the vibe was really different 
because the like I felt like a baby, but like a happy baby, right? It's like Pride number one in Toronto. I'm the crying baby throwing a tantrum. Colicky. You know, Pride number two in New York. I'm like a happy baby. Happy baby mm. pose. That, I guess, is sort of one way I would tell the story of my first prides. Um, but for me, it's sort of this interesting mixed bag of, like, you know, that kind of intersection between, like, where I am in my life, where I am in my body, where other mm. queer people are in space, and then, like, what pride meant in the world at that time. And actually, just, like, that's a lot of mm-hmm. threads that people have to figure out how to weave. I'll tell mine. Go ahead. My yeah. first pride was in D.C. in... 2011 so I was I guess I had graduated college the year before and had come out in college but you know still didn't have a queer community in DC and I went to pride with my boyfriend at the time who was trans still is trans he's trans and feeling like surprised at how self-conscious I was that it looked like Mm. I was in a straight couple and Ah, feeling like it's my first pride and yet I'm not sure if people here can even tell I'm queer and it was so important to me to like be recognized as queer for the first time because legible yeah yeah I was like femme again still am I don't know why I'm talking about all of our identities in the past tense (laughs) um and Uh, Like I said, didn't really have a queer community, so wasn't in places a lot where I could really feel seen and recognized and have that back and forth sort of visual discourse with people that was like, I'm part of this community, you are too, here we all are together. I was kind of like, does everyone feel like I'm an interloper here? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I was a little bit more trapped in my head than I think I would have liked. But I do remember feeling the same way actually Sammy felt, which was that, oh my God, I've never seen so many queer people in the same place at once. And I had been to, you know, some gay bars or dyke bars, um, but they were kind of small. And also it's like a certain kind of people go to a certain kind of bar to meet a certain kind of people. And queer parties, they all have their own little feelings. And at Pride, it really was everyone who came out, including Mm. people who don't go to bars and parties. So Mm. older queers, young queer and trans kids, people who came to D.C. from West Virginia or rural Maryland and really Mm -hmm. were like from a different queer culture than I was aware of. Even from different parts of D.C., I feel like the culture that I was aware of was very white. And at D.C. Pride, it was like, all kinds of people came out and there was like the like black trans drill team and the like gay marching band for all like the huge nerds. I ate too much of a weed chocolate and ended up getting really disoriented <laughs> by the end of it. Oh, but for the part that I, yeah, <laughs> yeah cautionary that's, that's tale so, for anyone's first so, pride, yeah. it was overwhelming to me in a good way where I mm. felt like it was a little bit of a corrective to the sense that, oh, everyone sort of must feel the way I feel. Um, Mm. Or everyone, this is the kind of gay that I'm coming into and everyone else, I I can sort of um, project that onto everyone else and understand what their experience is like. It was like, oh no, there's like a shitload of us here and we're all super different and are brought together by this sense of let's show each other who we are. It actually ended up being a really, like a catalyzing moment for me actually finding my queer community, Mm. which 
was happened in kind of a roundabout way where I decided to write an essay for the local gay blog about my first pride. And again, like I did write about the invisibility feeling and like, was it cool of me to like make my boyfriend's trans experience all about myself in this essay? Like, no, but uh, (laughs) that piece did end up catching the eye of the guy who's now like one of my best friends in DC. And he was like, I have this blog for like, trans people and queer women and like you should write for that instead of this gay man blog and I was like cool let me do that and that's like how I met my queer family in DC and actually how I ended up meeting my wife too um and it also outed me to some of my extended family members Mm, who found mm. the link and like created some productive conflict within my own family and sort of Mm. forced me to be like why are you upset that I wrote about my queerness in a public space? Perhaps you need right. to look inside yourself right. and realize that straight people write about their love lives all the time and their sex Constantly. lives all the time. And so it's not unseemly that I do the same. And like, I'm not going to talk to you until you have something better to say about that. Um, and so actually, my I when I think back to my first pride, it was almost its catalyzing effects that had more mm. of an impact on me than the actual event itself. But I also think it speaks to how powerful that gathering of people can be because it like can generate feelings in you just seeing that many different kinds of people in one place that can then affect how you interact with your like queerness or transness in the rest of life. Brian, what about you? What was your first pride yeah. like? So I was thinking about this and I had like Jules, I think I had sort of two different ones that stick out. One one that was not very important or catalyzing and one that really was. The first true Pride that I attended, I think it was 2009, um, and I went with the Columbia uh, University contingent, um, and mainly what I remember about it is it being extremely hot and just waiting on one of those weird side streets, like in the 30s, mm. forever to step off, just like like our our little float, or I don't even know if we had a float, it was probably just us like on the street, um, with, with like a Columbia banner or something, um, just like waiting for like four hours oh I my feel, God. Like, to, Classic. to step off. And then, yeah, and then to then to walk the 18 miles or whatever down to, to um, I guess I went to Stonewall and to the, to the pier at that, that point. The 18 miles? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like 18 blocks. <laughs> it's so far. It felt so far. Drama queen. Uh, well, were you wearing but, uncomfortable shoes or something? I was in just like full twink mode then, so it probably was just sneakers. I don't mm. know. Um, there are pictures. I, I was wearing like a blue polo. I don't really, really remember connecting with any kind of larger feeling of, like, community or whatever. It was just this this sort of strange parade uh, that that I was in. The one, the pride that, the, the other first pride that really sticks out to me, though, is something that really uh, was kind of life-changing, was the first time I went to the New York Drag March. Aww. Drag March is this um, alt-pride event that happens usually on the Friday before the main one. And it was started in 1994, I believe, by Gilbert Baker, who is the guy who made the rainbow flag, and Brian Griffin. It's actually like a protest thing against the um, the main pride, which this was this was the year of the 25th anniversary of Stonewall, and they had said that they did not want leather people or drag queens in the main parade as like oh a respectability, po- oh respectability politics. That's true. 
Um, and so that pissed off a lot of folks, uh, obviously. And so Gilbert Baker and Brian Griffin decided to do this alternative pride. The vibe at the beginning, I was looking this up earlier. Uh, the vibe at the beginning was very Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. If people mm-hmm. know that group based out of San Francisco, um, it's a drag group, but they, they dress in um, nun sort of attire, um, partially to protest the Catholic Church, but other things as well. And they do a lot of service work. They're uh, fantastic people. So that was sort of the the uh, beginning of it. And then it became, over the years, more radical fairy inflected. And now it's this wonderful mishmash of like queer pagan ritual <laughs> and uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence drag. The, when, when I say drag, the drag is, is very hodgepodgey. It's not like professional drag in most cases. It's sort of very, just like whatever you put on is fine. And it goes from Tompkins Square Park over to Stonewall. Uh, it's not permitted usually. It's it's sort of a real um, grassroots parade in that way. And at the end, uh, everyone gathers around Stonewall and sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow a cappella, which never ceases to make me cry. I just, just weep because it's so, it's just this this like, there's a lot of energy there, y'all. <laughs> like it's, uh, and, and, and it's being celebrated, I think, in, in, a, in a, pro- a good way and proper way um, in that. But I remember going to that, being very afraid uh, and nervous about it because it was a, a type of queer, or lots of types of queer people that I had not really been around before. Um, and my partner, Cam, uh, had and, and sort of said we should go do this. But I I went. I wore a um, jean skirt uh, and a little so sensible. A, a little pink a little pink um, a sort of cami that said "J'adore" across the front of it that I had found. Oh and was it Dior? Uh, no, it was it was definitely not. I think I, I think I got it at Strawberry. Is that a store? Oh yes, it is. Yeah. Great reference. <laughs> I love that you went for a skirt, like not ready for a skirt, but you no, know, I wanted, a yeah, non-binary I garment. Exactly. Women. Yeah. No. A skirt. Uh, and I think I wore actual heels too. I believe I, that was the year I went to right, and found through. found the the size 14s that I needed. Um, wow. So I did it, and I remember walking in that parade, being at first very nervous, but at some point really just being like this is what queerness should look like. Like This is what I've been looking for Aww. and want more of like in myself and in, and, and, in, and in my life. So anyway, that's the energy of it. It's very playful. It's transgressive. It's a little combative. It's like, it's, it's just a different kind of pride. And so ever since then, that is my pride. Like that is my, you know, I might go to other things, but that drag march uh, on Fridays is, is, for all intents and purposes, like my my pride celebration. I mean, I love all of these stories. I think they speak to again just the sheer range of what prides yes. are. Obviously, pride started, you know, as the Christopher Street Liberation Day. You know, started as a commemoration of a riot against the police. All right, should we be out riding again today, listeners? I'm gonna leave that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the things I'm also hearing as a theme, and maybe this connects to what Sammy was talking to us a little bit about earlier, is this kind of very like queer feeling of like things. Like part of what pride does is it like pulls you in um, to situations that you were just like both desiring but like totally afraid of. Yes, And then you do it for the first time and they just seem so surreal and like that kind of like, I can't believe this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then Mm -hmm. 
but then they're not anymore. <clears throat> and that's actually like really good, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the things that like used to be so hard now seem like hilariously normal. And like, I'm pleased, right? It's like, mm-hmm. right? It's like if you go to Pride in part because you can take advantage of this being a safer, louder kind of space, especially in big cities, you can kind of enjoy that feeling of like, well, if a million people are doing it, right, I'm not, whatever fears I have, whatever lightning bolt I think is going to come down from the sky and strike me down, won't even be able to find me in the throng so I can do it. But then over time, it's like, it builds up your courage, right? Mm -hmm. And it allows you to live more bombastically, however you want to live your life, right? Or at least it seems like it has done that for all of us. But then one of the funny like side effects of that is that over time that it doesn't seem like as big of a deal anymore. And maybe that's a good thing, right? But it is this kind of feeling of like the strangeness of just like I won't say aging because it's a violent word, but like growing <laughs> growing up as queer and trans people, right? It's like yeah. we get used to ourselves. And I think that it's like it's something I think about all the time. You know, because like for trans folks, especially when people are, you know, as we say, eggs and their eggs just Mm. hatched and they're like, okay, admit it, like I'm trans, but I don't know what I want to do. It's a really Mm. difficult, often really intense and sometimes dangerous time period because you're like, well, I'm trans, but I can't. How could I possibly pull this shit off? Like, it's crazy, right? And some things take a long time, Mm -hmm. right? And I think it's often true when you come out, if you are losing a relationship or kinship structure you had, if you're rejected by family, if you lose a job, if you have to move, there is are these ways that, like, the gay life is about having to start over at different points, and that's really hard. And I do feel like these kinds of rituals also, you know, whatever their origins were, also about, like, giving us what we need in the moment but then maybe in the best of circumstances right like our lives are not so plucky afterwards and like we're we're a little bit more okay i no longer go to like the pride parade or the pride festival or there's parties that i go to that are not Mm -hmm. you know officially sanctioned but are like the big sort of dyke centered parties that happen every year at pride I'm always wearing like flamboyant clothes. Like I'm not shy about myself in real life. You know, I'm on a freaking queer podcast too, but there's <laughs> something about pride weekend that emboldens me even further, maybe yeah. like more even yes. than I should be where I'm like, this is our city. This is our yes. weekend. I'm like, sometimes <laughs> like not afraid of like getting catcalled or stared mm. at like my friends and I now for the third year, we uh, this year rented a like 50 person boat that is captained oh, by like an old grizzled God. sea captain on the Potomac. And like, <laughs> oh my God. I doubt that any like either the grizzled sea captain or the person who runs the bar on the boat have ever experienced the like queer and trans and scantily clad charter vibe that we bring to the boat but like but what a blessing for them i think now that we've been doing it for three years it's like they know us it was very cute this year um the captain you know gives a short safety briefing at the beginning of the boat ride and he was like well there's uh two bathrooms um the boats we call them the head they're uh they're not anything Anyone can go into anyone. Just go in, do your thing, and get out. Just don't flush paper towels down the toilet. <laughs> All good. Yeah. I'm like, you couldn't come up with the word gender, but you knew right. what you were saying. And I'm just, you know, we all showed up at like the ritzy, like waterfront area of DC at like 11:30 a.m. on the Sunday of Pride. 
looking bedraggled, but also wearing like, you know, pasties and thongs and what, or that was just me, but like, and other people were wearing other things and just sort of like, what we're going on our pride boat. You know, I dare anyone to stare or to say anything or like, you know, I just feel extra, um, entitled, I guess, during pride to be, to feel like, I don't know. I don't, I care a lot less during pride than I do the rest Mm. of the year of what people think of when they look at me. And I think everyone kind of gets the message too, at least in DC and and probably other big cities where it's like this clearly not in Kirtaline, Idaho, where like a U-Haul of Nazis came and disrupted pride. But like that is one of the biggest things that I look forward to every pride still, you know, Mm. even in my slightly more self-confident thirties. I have, like, actually anti-interest in, in attending the main Pride in New York. Not so much because I have, like, objections to it, although I do, and we've talked well, about this. it's New York, though. Who has time yeah, and energy to go anywhere? Too, honestly, that's where the aging part comes in for me. It's just too yes. much. It's, like, too stressful. It's, like, the barricades and the whole, like, it's it's just, it is too stressful for me. But, um, but actually, no, I mean, the, the drag march continues to be a moment of of kind of queer awe for me every year that hasn't faded. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I feel certainly more, uh, as you were saying, like comfortable now. I don't, I'm not stressed about what am I going to wear? Like, am I going to fit in or be accepted? But I, I still find moments in that where I, where I'm like, I don't know, like where, where I feel like in tune with, with like the queer spirit. I don't know how else to yeah. say it in a way that I, that I just don't many other times of the year. There's only a few, maybe at like Radfay sanctuary and stuff like that. But like, it's really, it's really kind of only there. And I, and I, and I kind of, I hold it a little bit. as like a holy day for me, honestly. So that, that hasn't faded even as I'm talking about it now, I'm getting a little bit, a little bit of chills there's a lot of value even for people who do queer things the rest of the year to really have that one time that everyone sets aside to come out and like be their most and do their thing and have Mm -hmm. that to look forward to and plan around. I was thinking about something that we talked a little bit about in our bonus episode about fire Island, just for Mm. a moment, you know, like what it means when you get together you know, just just in the family, right? Um, and, you know, I, I use that word on purpose because, you know, families notoriously not homogenous, don't get along, have a lot of drama, <laughs> right? But, but there's something about, like, okay, I'm going to put my historian's hat on for a second. Sorry, I waited this long in the episode to do it. But, you know, <laughs> back in the day, right, um, before the first prize, so I'm talking about the 1960s, you know, people used to talk about the gay life, Mm-hmm. You know, and gay was right. a word that didn't necessarily mean sexual orientation per se, right? Lots of people call themselves gay. Gay men, lesbians, butches, femmes, right? But also drag queens, transvestites, trans feminine people, people we would call trans women today. And what it meant to be in the gay life meant that you were wearing uh, a badge of stigma mm. in American mm. society in particular, right? Because... Gay people were seen as effeminate. Gay people were seen as abnormal, as bizarre, right. as gender atypical, etc. But there were real 
substantial material consequences that affected almost everyone at that time. It was very hard to escape them unless you were super closeted. So the gay life really meant like this kind of poor working class life hidden and criminalized that took place in bars that could be raided at any time. Right. Where walking down the street wearing three items of the wrong clothing can get you arrested. Where being outed in the newspaper was a constant, you know, danger to people who did have good paying jobs, right? And so there's something about this like feeling that to me... I understand and totally am on board with all of the anti-capitalist and class critiques of corporate pride, but also how damn fucking expensive the drinks be at, mm-hmm. right? right? Mm-hmm. No shade. Mm-hmm. But like, but also there is this spiritual component that I think we are disallowed from talking about because, you know, homophobia and transphobia like to say that, you know, sexuality and gender are these secular, you know, or moralizing right, right, kinds right. of things. But no, there's a spirit, there's a practice, there's a modality. And it's like about this thing where you're like, for this weekend, honey, we own this mm-hmm. city, okay? We mm-hmm. are going to do whatever we want to do. And that might mean that you got to go find your friend at 3 a.m. when they totally took too much and disappeared and you're worried about them. And so I'm not <laughs> right. saying it's like utopia. It's not, yeah. no, it's not paradise no. on earth. <laughs> but there is something about that that power to say that, you know what, for this stretch of time, yep. we're going to make this world gay and I'm going to follow my desires because that is the thing that people have fought for and died for before me. And that we will lay on the line for if we have to, right? I totally think yeah. that that kind of entitlement is beautiful because it's a spiritual entitlement. It's a message to the world. And Ooh, it says, oh, I you don't that. even yeah. know. You don't even yeah. know. We walk among you every day and we could be running this world for the better. Hey, straight people, you could be going on right. a sexy ass a Potomac cruise, but you don't. Your life sucks. Sorry. Um, relatively, right? But you have kept us down. And so this is how we're going to remind you yeah. that in some ways we do have it better, right? Um, but it's also right. this call for what it means to to build world and build community, right? That I think actually ends up, even though it ends up being about things like class and money, and certainly ends up being about things like race or gender and other social hierarchies, it also is about the promise of something bigger and better than that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And it's like this promise that we're going to make it out of this imperfect world. And I just feel like that's such an enduring message. You know, I mean, I was really shook a couple of days ago. It seems that, you know, like truly less than a mile from my house, someone lit some pride flags on fire that were Mm. being displayed on someone's home, which is very common in Baltimore, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And like three houses were destroyed. And like, that's scary. Like, that's really scary that what's happening, you know, what's happening in Coeur d'Alene, what happened in Drag Queen Story Hour in the Bay Area. I mean, there have been like at least 12 reported kinds of moments of violence. Not the first year we've had that, but it's like, okay, that's scary, right? But, you know, I think that more than ever then, you know, this feeling that we're all kind of speaking to about pride, which is like, oh, you want to come for us? Baby, watch out. I wouldn't mess with the gays if I were you, Okay we were worried about the vibes. I think we were all self-conscious about our own cynicism. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And talking yeah. to Sammy and talking to ourselves. I feel like, hmm, you know what? We still know, like, you know, hey, we're relevant listeners. We're still <laughs> plugged in. But also, I think, like, obviously, you know, the meaning of pride changes over time. But clearly, clearly, there are some perennial reasons that we, we, we are drawn yeah. to it, that we come back to it, and that maybe, you know, this year more than others were sort of called to reflect back on those core values because you know what it seems like we're gonna need them um, yeah. in the next little while especially but also there's just so much good in there you know 
Um, and, and a lot of it does come down to, you know, to thongs and pasties, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I want, I want us and our listeners to all claim that spiritual entitlement. Yeah. That you, I thought yes. that was, oh, what a term. What a, what a wonderful phrase. Yes. Uh, that's, that's the spirit I'm going into pride with. Uh, that's year. right. Listeners, we want to hear all about your pride plans this year, how you feel about it. We want the vibe check. We want the pictures. You can always find us at outwardpodcast at slate.com. That's about it for this month. But before we go, we have some updates for your gay agenda. Brian, what do you have for us? Okay, I have um, a little game I think our our listeners should participate in. And the game is based on this really great meme that sort of emerged this Pride season in response to all of the brand campaigns that are going around, including the Postmates one. Um, and it's, I think we can call it like the that's why I'm partnering with meme or this <laughs> month I'm partnering with meme. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, it. What it sort of does is sends up gay influencers uh, who often have these really hilarious attempts to like merge personal experience with whatever the brand message <laughs> is. Um, there's a few, I'll read just like a couple examples in case you haven't seen these. Um, one, uh, and these were rounded up by BuzzFeed. I'll, I'll put this in the show page. Um, As a gay man growing up, I struggled with coming out to my family, which is why I'm so excited this Pride Month to be partnering with the Olive Garden, because when you're here, you're family. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Oh, uh, as a gay teenager, I never felt like I had the proper tools to succeed. That's why for this Pride Month, I've partnered with Home Depot. Um, (laughs) So you kind of get the message. Uh, Oh, this is good. As a a gay black woman who grew up in a cult, I was afraid to come out of the closet. That's why this month I'm partnering with Ikea to build my dream closet. (laughs) (laughs) So these are great. There's there's been a ton of them on Twitter and and whatnot. Um, But I and my partners have taken at home to just like walking around coming up with them (laughs) like amongst ourselves and just like falling out laughing. Um, And so my agenda item is just to take this little formula and and when you're when you're just sort of um, gobsmacked by the insanity of some of these corporate pride campaigns this year do it it's a fun little exercise that works your brain um, and it also brings a little capitalist critique um, <laughs> into the season I wrote one for <gasps> the occasion oh if, God, I, if I may yes. as a proud modern sexual gay man living in a fierce city in the age of our <laughs> goddess grinder I have more opportunities to knock the boots house down Henny then I know what to do with. That's why this month I'm partnering with the Home Depot where doers get more done. Ooh, oh my God, so good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, y'all should all try it too, for sure. All right, Christina, what do you have? I want to recommend something that I've observed in the wild but don't have yet for myself, but I plan on obtaining one. It's a company called Kaftco. That's K-A-F-T-K-O. It's a caftan company. Oh, yeah. My friend wore one of these caftans on our pride boat this year. She said it got advertised to her on Instagram in an extremely specific and accurate mode of targeting. I fell in love with it. I'm going to get myself one. What I love about these caftans, which are designed by a gay man named Oday Shakar, A lot of clothing that's advertised as gender neutral and marketed to queers is actually just masculine. It's like button downs and baggy shorts and t-shirts. And I feel like it's kind of a cliche at this point that our 
you know, gender neutral future space uniform is just muted neutrals and boxy silhouettes. This, <laughs> right. That's not what this caftan is. This caftan is flowy. It has an extreme deep V. Mm. And unlike a lot of these other queer marketed clothing items that only work for like totally flat bodies, this would pretty much fit on any shape of person. In fact, Bear World magazine called it the perfect <laughs> non-gendered bear-friendly caftan. Yeah. So all the femme the bears out there. The endorsement. And it comes in just a ton of cool patterns. Apparently, the founding designer, Oday Shakar, had worked in women's clothing for many years, but then wanted to make something that he identified with. So Bear World magazine, again, reports... <laughs> The caftan represents his Iraqi mm. roots, the graphic modern prince, his American upbringing. So there's, you know, a little bit of a personal narrative mm. behind these caftans. They also make little shorts and little bathing suits. It's just a very cool queer company, and I'm very excited to have a new um, beach caftan cover-up. It's, again, called Caftco with a K. I'm absolutely getting one. I love nothing more than a beach cover-up, actually. I'm very afraid of mm. very afraid of the sun, so that's, that's, <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you, Christina, for that. Um, Jules, what about you? So I just have sort of an open-ended suggestion. You know, maybe, maybe summer for a lot of us is a time to catch up on reading. Maybe you have a place to lull the summer away. And if you do, I was thinking, you know, we're living through one of these weird moments where um, they're at it again, folks. They're banning the books, uh, mm-hmm. although maybe they never stop. But there are a lot of LGBT books being banned um, in local jurisdictions around the country and sometimes at the state level. And I thought, like, well, you know, sometimes it's like, well, if you're banning the book, honey, I want to find out what the tea is. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of them are, are I'm noticing, very on trend or like YA books and things that definitely just seem like delightful summer reads. So my recommendation is just like, read a banned LGBT book this this month. Um, mm. Whatever one you want. You know, if you just, I like I'm that. not going to give you my personal recommendations, just Google LGBT banned <laughs> books. Like, you'll find a lot of lists, right? Um, and a lot of them are, like, bestsellers, so maybe you've already read them. But if you haven't, just feel like it's a great opportunity to read something. But also maybe, I think there's something just so instructive about sitting down and reading a book that's been banned, because oftentimes it's just like, oh, okay, so you really just hate us, don't you? Because, mm-hmm. like, you know. So so that, that that's my recommendation. I feel like it's a way to both unwind and also politically educate. And isn't it nice when you can do both at the same time? I'm a high femme, so let's, let me just say, anytime I can be in a reclined, supine <laughs> position, mm. which is what nature, let's, let's say it again, naturally selected my body for, um, I know that that's really where I do my best political work. Well, that's it for our special Pride Month episode. I'm sad that it's coming to an end, but this was so much fun. Listeners, you can always send us your feedback and ideas at outwardpodcast at slate.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Outward. June Thomas is our producer and the grand marshal of our very first Pride Parade. (laughs) If you like Outward, which you do... Please subscribe in your podcast app, tell your friends about it, rate and review it, help other people find it. We'll be back in your feeds next week with our final Pride Month special episode. Bye, Jules. Bye, Brian. Bye, y'all. Happy Happy Pride. Pride. Stay gay. It is 
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.